Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. Here on CBS Sports, that's Bud Elliott, that's Tom Fernelli, I'm Chip Patterson, coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe, smash that like, come and hang out and join us in the chat. Uh, we've got a lot to break down here in week one. We've got some Thursday results, some Friday results. We've got some Saturday results that will certainly lead to shakeups in the top 25 rankings. Uh, our big time primetime showdown delivered with some intrigue and some results that we weren't expecting. We had drama in the noon slate, lots to get to. Um, let's, let's start with what we just saw. Cause I know a lot of our audience is coming right off of this Ohio state Notre Dame game. And that was, you know, sort of what we based this off of. We said, all right, this is going to be probably a blowout, right guys? Well, Hey, you know what? Listen, Ohio State's favored by 17. Their offense gets off the bus and they score 40. Like we just, we know this thing's going to be a cakewalk. We'll be we'll we'll be rocking and rolling. Might even just do it by the end of the fourth quarter. But Tom, you had live blog duties for cbssports.com. You had to write takeaways for cbssports.com. Mm-hmm. And uh buddy, it it was not a runaway game. I I felt like I knew Ohio State was going to win for most of the second half. I don't know about you. But I do. I never thought that this thing was a surefire win. What did you make of the approach that Ohio State had in taking care of business against Notre Dame? And how much credit do you give the Fighting Irish for uh, this being closer than expected? I I think the Notre Dame defense deserves some credit for giving the off the Ohio State offensive line hell for part of the night. But I think honestly the biggest impact in this game was Jackson Smith and Jigba, whatever whether it was an ankle, a knee, a hamstring. I never figured it out. Yeah, he hurt himself. He got whatever it was. He got hurt on the very first series of the game. He finished the night with two catches for three yards. He came back in for like a half a series later, but then just left and he never came back in the game. Buckeyes were already down Julian Fleming as well. So it's like we spent all offseason talking about how they lose Garrett Wilson and Olave to the NFL, and it doesn't matter because they've still got all these studs. But then it turns out when you take away another two studs, like you can only have so much depth at the receiver spot. And it showed in the Ohio State offense because, like, in the first half of that game, like CJ Stroud looked ordinary as hell. And there was like miscommunications with his receivers, whether, you know, like running the wrong routes or not stopping, taking the wrong options when they're on option routes. His throws were off. The receivers were in the wrong place. And it just looked choppy and bad. And some of it was Notre Dame's defense getting pressure on it, but a lot of it was just bad execution. 
And then it felt like halfway through the third quarter, like things kind of clicked. Like Emeka Egbuka, I thought, made a couple big plays and emerged as the guy for the night. He finished with nine catches, 90 yards, made a couple nice catches along the sidelines. Mayan Williams, a guy you don't expect, the, the big bulky running back, made an amazing like comeback catch along the sidelines sliding to get his feet in to pick up a first down it was huge and so it led to ohio state putting together two back-to-back long drives after really not doing a damn thing on offense all night to take control of the game and it was important for them it was not a pretty game but the other biggest takeaway is uh the difference between carrie combs and jim Knowles. stark Mm. how much are they paying jim Knowles? They need to pay him more. <laughs> yeah, it's worth it. Whatever it, it's, yeah. There's there, there's a line about divorce that that, that that some some divorce guys at my golf club say they say why, why is it so expensive? Because it's worth it. Why do you pay Jim Knowles all that money? Because he's worth it. That that was a tremendous effort by by Jim Knowles in Ohio State defense tonight. I mean, look, not that Notre Dame was always actively trying to score, but they were trying to make this game as ugly as humanly possible. Very slow, low scoring. I think we had what less than 130 plays total in this game and Ohio state was physical. Like I, I had heard, we talked about that they had a really physical camp and it, it looked different. Like they were, they were hitting out there in ways that they were not hitting last year. Uh, shout out their, their defensive line got nice pressure, but they were able to confuse Tyler Buckner all oh, throughout yeah. the second half. I mean, he first half, he had, he had some stuff going on. And then I think they found a little something like, Oh, and he started seeing ghosts a little bit. Now, granted small sample set. Cause Notre Dame only threw, I think eight passes in the second half for at least, right through about the first mm-hmm. 20 minutes of the second half. Yeah, tremendous job, Jim Knowles. That, that's a nice hire by Ryan Day, for sure. Yeah, it was funny because it's like after watching Ohio State all last year pretty much just play like cover three or quarters or cover two, just like basic zones and dropping it every single play. Watching tonight and there's stunts, there's blitzes. You've got Zach Harrison dropping into coverage. And I'm just like, what the hell? Where did all this come from? They already implemented it all and they're bringing it right out of the gate. You can see, you know, Tyler Buckner, his first start on the road in Ohio Stadium, staring that down, having no idea what he was looking at pre-snap and then things looking completely different post-snap. Like they were able to hit some big plays in the passing game. I mean, the very first play of the game was a 54-yard pass to Lorenzo Styles. Of course, it was a short screen. He broke a tackle, busted coverage down the sideline. But it was funny because my concern all week, I was saying, I just don't know that Notre Dame has enough ability to put together explosive plays in the passing game. All of Notre Dame's explosive plays tonight were in the passing game. They couldn't run. Like, they were held only two and a half yards per carry because that offensive line, which we considered to be a good offensive line, Jarrett Patterson's one of the, you know, an All-American guy. Lots of good players on there. It's supposed to be a strength. They weren't getting a whole lot of push against that Ohio State front tonight. They could not move the ball. No, not, not at all. I, You know, what? one thing that stood out to me, Tom, is Ohio State won tonight, but the game was played in the fashion that Notre Dame won yeah. the game to be played. Like, Ohio State's like, all right, fine. You really want to play it like this? It, okay, when, when your toddler's screaming, like, fine, we're, we're still going to put you in the car. But, like, like, this could be so much easier if you just o- open us up and, and, and run with us here. And Notre Dame's like, uh-uh, no, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to play really slow. It, look at Ohio State's explosive plays in this game. I mean, to, to your point, Notre Dame's came through the air. Ohio State's basically just didn't come. Mm-hmm. They had one play over 25 yards tonight. One. Yeah. And this is Ohio State we're talking about. I I think Ryan Day p- tipped us off. I mean, I thought that Ryan Day was trying to like lead us astray, but he told us at the beginning of the week they want to establish the run. He told us at the beginning of the week that this game was going to be about being physical at the line of scrimmage. 
I, again, like I just thought he was trying to, you know, just be like, oh yeah, we're not going to throw it. All y'all think that we're going to be a video game offense because of what we did in the Rose bowl. Like I totally thought that it was just, you know, him playing games with the media, but I, that's why I said approach when I talked about Ohio state off the jump, Ohio state decided it was like, yeah, I understand. I know what all, I know what chip wants. I know what bud wants. I know what Tom wants. You, you want us to get out there and play like we're playing Madden. Well, we're not going to play Madden because I think that what this, I mean, it's a big capital F football guy move as a coach, right? What we need to do is we need to establish the run and we need to teach our boys what we need to do to win the hard games. And we're going to do it in game one. Cause we need it in game eight. And that's what they did, man. Like they could have thrown more. They could have tried to sling this around more. Like some of it is a hundred percent a credit to the Notre Dame defense, but some of it I think also was built into the mentality where all of a sudden, like very early in the game, I was like, Ryan day wasn't fibbing. They really are going into this game, trying to set a tone, not just for this game, but for the season, because they're thinking about those tough big 10 games later where they're going to need to be able to run the ball with Mayan Williams. And that big bulky boy is going to be the guy who's going to get you those tough yards in those situations. I will say, I mean, kudos to Ryan day for doing it because one of the critiques about him from Ohio state fans in recent years is a lot of times. Yeah. When he should rely on the run game, he's trying to throw every single snap. But uh, also we did see a defensive innovation tonight from Notre Dame. What was it? You guys have heard of the drop eight, but have you heard of the drop nine? Drop nine, I saw that. <laughs> because the Irish did that a couple of times. Yeah, and they, they really did it, not 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 the drop nine stuff, but they they played a lot of too deep stuff, and, and the proper response is it's almost like black check, right? If you get mm-hmm. this, you do this. I mean, if you're constantly sitting in a too deep shell, you need to be able to run the football. If you can't, you're probably going to lose. Like the, the incorrect thing to do is try to get pass happy against a too deep shell look. And really, Notre Dame rarely came out of that the the touchdown late they did they, they i think notre dame's defensive coordinator al golden who i thought called a really nice game overall realized uh our, our offense might actually not score we need to try to create something here need to definitely limit and, and not allow a touchdown uh and credit cj stroud who i thought had a bit of an off game uh recognizing it and and hitting it they they saw zero blitz that they, they hit it over the top you know down the seam there and that was uh it was really just a, a tremendously you know job of patience by Notre Dame all day. I, I was I was impressed by everybody sticking with their game plan and then also with Ohio State reacting in the proper way, even though it was ugly. I have the uh the hottest, worst take in my head. Oh, Ready to hear it. hear it? Yes. I think CJ Stroud lost the Heisman tonight. No, I think he I, I don't think he lost it. I think that <laughs> I mean Come the end of the year, all that's going to matter is they won this game as long as he puts up the numbers. Correct, but. 100%. It was just, I, it, I go into it with the idea that every Heisman, I, th- I think every preseason Heisman favorite has failed to win the Heisman for like yeah. the last five years and maybe even have like not even come close to making the ceremony. Maybe mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence, because Trevor Lawrence never won it, but he was a finalist twice. So maybe he might have been like one of those that did make the ceremony, but it's just, I think being the preseason Heisman favorite is a curse at this point. And so one bad performance and all the voters are like, all right, you're out of the paint. Hot hot takes aside, that was the most ordinary performance I've ever seen CJ Stroud have. An extraordinary performance happened in Gainesville. I said, uh, I was a little bit reckless. I I mean, listen, I got to be honest with you two. I've got to be honest with all of our viewers and listeners, but like I said, I think that there's a potential for Anthony Richardson to be awesome. And all y'all were like, oh, really? Oh, Chip? Oh, 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 you do? 
and I'm not gloating here, but I'm just saying that I do yeah, feel like oh, Anthony right. Richardson <laughs> was awesome tonight. Doesn't mean he'll be awesome every night, but I think that if uh, whatever your best case scenario was for Billy Napier's Florida Gators, a lot of it played out tonight in Florida's win against Utah. And like, that was a game that a hundred percent was, you know, it, hanging in the balance in so many different moments, including Utah could have kicked a field goal to send this thing to overtime. They're going for the win, which I love, but then it gets picked off in the end zone when a tight end falls down. Like the, the game itself, I don't know if I come out of it and remember, you know, Florida, just a, a narrow underdog at home against Utah. I don't know if I come out with it with like major different adjustments for either team. I think Utah is still probably the best team or one of the best teams in the Pac-12. I still am not going to say that Florida is ready to challenge Georgia. We'll get to the Bulldogs in a minute. But whatever your best case scenario was for Billy Napier, the way that Anthony Richardson played today, the way that that team was well coached, not making mistakes, very prepared for the moment and the opponent, I if you're a Florida fan, you're incredibly encouraged, not just by the win, but just by the quality of team that was fielded today in the swamp, right? I think so. I mean, they, they came out, they looked competent, they looked you know, fairly well coached. I, I, they, they had a lot of success running the football, and you know, most of their passing success was, was on play action stuff that worked really well against Utah's defense. Uh, and then, you know, defensively, Florida, for the most part, limited the explosive play potential of of Utah. Cam Rising is still a really good and dangerous quarterback. And you know, this game came down to Utah had first and goal on the three or four yard line twice and came mm -hmm. away with zero points in those two instances. I mean, we, we we saw this. Tom will tell you about it probably later in the show from from last night, right? Well, I, mean, I don't know is, what you're talking about. I right. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> You ha you're only going to get so many chances in, in, a, in a tight, you know, contested game. And for Florida to get stops down there with, 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 with the interception and in the fourth down stop, that's really where this was won. Utah moved the ball fairly well until it got into the tight zone. And Florida Florida vote up, and all, all, all the credit to them. And Richardson and hitting that 75-yard run was huge for them too. I like Chip saying that like we didn't believe in Anthony Richardson when I took Florida as my money line sprinkle. Did you think I did that? Cause I thought he sucked. Oh, uh, I will say it is funny to me though, because I've seen it in the chat tonight and I saw it on Twitter. There have been comparisons to Vince young and cam Newton. And I'm just like, let's, let's maybe pump the brakes a little bit. Although I do think he's very good. I will say, is there any thought for either of you that like, Florida opens its season under Billy Napier first game with an upset win over a highly ranked Utah. Is this going to raise expectations a little too high, a little too quick? Well, they have Kentucky next week and if Kentucky still has those suspensions, they could be two and zero. Do you think Chris Rodriguez will still be suspended next week? But <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Like they had a couple guys suspended today. I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I have I'm, a feeling he will have he will have he will have apologized and realized his mistakes by the time they play Florida. <laughs> uh, that's that's probably true. I, okay, so the the Cam Newton Vince Young comparison is probably a little bit much, right? In terms of pure physical ability, but I've seen we're not supposed to call him Air Fifteen anymore. Oh, that to me that's an awesome nickname. But all right. <laughs> He physically, he is pretty freaky, man. Like, like mm -hmm. he does have the ability to be the best athlete on the field, and he is a big guy. Uh, 
I was at the Florida junior all-star game practice. So like in, in the state of Florida, we play this game where all the juniors in the state at the end of the year, before their senior years in high school, get together. They, they play it you know, over by Armwood. Um, man, I thought he was a coach at that game. <laughs> this is a couple of years ago now. I was like, it's like, who's this dude? He's like, oh, whoa. Like I had not seen, I'd seen his, his video, but I hadn't seen him in, in person. Physically, he does look like, like a grown dude, you know, even in high school. So I'm, I'm not saying he's Cam Newton or Vince Young. I don't think he is, but physically, he can take over a game with his legs. And, and the arm looked good tonight. I mean, we'll see how well he looks when people force him to throw when it's not off play action. But right now, Florida's doing a tremendous job of dictating with the run game and throwing off a lot of play action. They did a really nice job of it. The game-winning touchdown looks like, based on the camera's got a great view of Billy Napier talking to Anthony Richardson right before the play happened, and they got a great view of, and I don't know the, who the Florida assistant was, but the Florida assistant, like, going back and giving the, like, point to Billy Napier and, like, the big hug afterwards. Like, it seemed very, very clear that everything that they wanted to happen happened. They trotted out the two wide receivers wide to get two men out of the box. Like the the lane that they were trying to get open for Anthony Richardson in that moment, like got open. And it was just one of those like perfectly planned, perfectly executed. Like it just functional, like incredibly functional. I, d- I did not get a chance to hear what Dan Mullen had to say on the ESPN desk about this game. Fascinated. To know Dan, Dan was interested. There was it was at halftime of the uh it was Ohio State Notre Dame, yeah, because he was in studio there and Florida had just scored to take the lead and he interrupted the studio host and says, Oh, Florida just scored to take the lead and in, in, in Gainesville is getting interesting. So Dan was more interested in that game than he was in Notre Ohio, Dame, Ohio State, State Notre Dame. <laughs> Listen, hey, what how, how many more years does he have on those buyout checks? <laughs> Dan's good on TV. Maybe he should stay there for a while, play out that buyout as long as he can. Now you can go back and forth. Urban Meyer taught us this, and he's an urban disciple, so he'll just continue to be able to run that back and forth. You can once you submit your status, you can always get back on. So, yeah, I, I understand that that's what he'll do there. Uh, any other uh, Florida Utah notes or thoughts? I, again, like I said, I don't I don't downgrade Utah that much from this. Is that un, is that being soft on the Utes? Like, should we be more critical? They could have like. In a, in, in, in a timeline not different from this, they win this game by going for it right, like right it's there. Not at like, the end. It's not like they lost this game because they played badly. They just lost. Yeah. I, this is nerdy, but like, if you line if you line up again tomorrow, is your pick materially different for this game? No, they they failed to convert twice on on first and goal from in, inside the five. If they line up tomorrow, maybe they go two for two. Maybe they go over two. Maybe they go one for two. It. it this is small sample set theater balls bounce weird. It's why we love football, but I know like uh, they didn't play much different than I think anybody expected. Right. Okay. If Georgia and Oregon line up tomorrow, is your pick fundamentally different? No. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly like, like yeah, I, I thought the game would be closer than that. I didn't nope. bet Oregon, but I, I thought it'd be a little bit more competitive. I, I mean, I'm probably I might not have bet the under simply because I didn't expect George's offense to be that good, but overall I don't think too much would change. I mean that was just that yeah that was just a ass kicking. I mean just from start 
to finish. Like Bo Nix is still Bo Nix and he's going to be Bo Nix. And I don't know if he'll be the starter there all year. I don't know that he should be the starter chip on HQ earlier. I was talking about the fact that he probably shouldn't have been starting for most of the second half. I'm not sure why Dan Lanning was sticking with him. Even if he is your starter going forward, you're just risk. You're sitting out there risking him getting killed by the Georgia defense. But the biggest surprise to me was how good that Georgia offense looked. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said all preseason, Alabama and Ohio State are my two favorites to win the title because I just don't think anybody could score with them. I, lo- I know Georgia's defense was still going to be good. I just didn't think they'd be explosive enough in the in the passing attack to really make a difference. But, man, because it's not like Oregon's defense is filled with pushovers. There are questions in the secondary, but they were just – they just – Steamrolled them tonight, and I mentioned. And too, the head it. coach knows everyone on the opposition. Yes. We have yeah. loaded but, Oregon with all of the advantages. I mean, you, and but also, flip side, they know they know that defense too. F- facts, true. I just I feel like from the four and star and five star talent, not a lot of five stars, but you can correct me on that if I'm wrong. I know there's like a couple sprinkled in there, but like mostly like solid talent base for this Oregon defense. And a coach, the head coach in Dan Lanning, who we view as a positive plus value, very good defensive coach, and also whatever institutional knowledge there might be, seven possessions, seven touchdowns, not a punt, not a turnover. Every single time Georgia got the ball, they found the end zone. I said this earlier, Tom, like, I'm I'm sorry that you've got to hear it again, but like, ruthless. Mm -hmm. That was a ruthless like decapitation of the Oregon defense by Todd Monken, Stetson Bennett, the fourth and the Georgia Bulldogs offense. I was incredibly impressed. And uh, how about Kirby smart coming out here and doing the, like, listen, Dan Lanning won't tell this to you, but he knows we've got better players. That's what happened. They'll they'll play better against the Kirby smart came out there after wearing that silly leather helmet. And he was like, I mean, I'm gonna tell y'all like Dan Lane's gonna be nice. He he don't want to talk bad about his players, but uh, but we got better players, and he knows it. And they're like they're gonna be better when they go to the Pac-12 and they play them sorry players. But like, <laughs> come on, man, we got good players, better players than they got. It was it was ruthless. Everything about what Georgia did to Oregon in uh, the Big Body Bends tonight. Just, you know, I I am not downgrading Oregon, but I am upgrading Georgia some because that like I was already very high on Georgia's offensive line. And I thought they just played tremendously well today. I mean, they, mm-hmm. That's a pretty good Oregon front seven, and they pushed them around. I, I, I did not think that would happen. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I was extremely impressed by that. And, I, you know, I also was really impressed by Stetson Bennett. He, <gasps> he, wasn't, he wasn't a caretaker today. Like, he, he went out there and he made some big-time throws, you know? And he was decisive with the ball, and he didn't do a ton of YOLO stuff. It was, it was really impressive to me. I, Georgia's defense... This is I, I kind of figured this game would basically go slow start. Oregon could bang with Georgia a little bit. Oregon has a decided disadvantage on the outside, and eventually Oregon would have to blitz, right? And Georgia would hit him with some plays, or Georgia would be able to blitz Oregon, create some turnovers from Knicks, and and be able to hold up on the back end. Both of which happened some, but man, Georgia up front, offensive line wise, looks great. Third. They're going to be in the playoff again. <laughs> they're, they're legit. Like, like I said, I thought Alabama and Ohio State were the two teams that are going to win a national title. It's going to be one of those two. There's going to, there, there's three now. George is back in the mix. 
So uh, good luck to everyone who wants to be number four because mm-hmm. we've already decided uh, who the three playoff teams are going to be. And based on everything that we saw, so let's see, uh, Alabama blowout win against Utah State, Georgia blowout win against Oregon, uh, Ohio State gets it done against a top five opponent in Notre Dame. Who will be the fourth? The number four team from last year was in action in one of the few ranked-on-ranked matchups of the week. We will get into Arkansas's win against Cincinnati, an incredibly dramatic noon slate in the state of North Carolina with a couple of in-state rivalries, and much, much more from Saturday's slate and maybe Friday if Tom will let us talk about it. And well, I don't even remember Thursday. what happened Friday. All that and more next. So Arkansas does get it done against Cincinnati, a hard-fought seven-point win against the Bearcats. Uh, Kind of an interesting game, the way it unfolded. Took Cincinnati's offense a little while to to get rolling. Um, You know, you've got an Arkansas – K.J. Jefferson finishes with four touchdowns, three passing, one rushing. But I don't know. I kind of came away from this looking at Cincinnati and, and thinking that, they did a great job of handling a uh, hostile road atmosphere and they probably have the right guy in Ben Bryant at quarterback. And I don't know, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this and, and seeing Arkansas as a team that still has a ways to go. If we are going to look at them as being the one to jump to the top of that heap. Like if there's a heap of teams, uh, Texas A&M did not look great against Sam Houston. Uh, Auburn is probably going to be in a weather delay until noon on Sunday. Um, LSU well, that still final now. Okay, all right. LSU still hasn't played yet. Like, who's going to be the second best team in the SEC West? Some people would suggest Arkansas. I don't necessarily come out of this game high on the Razorbacks, though. The way the game unfolded, I I feel like it was a, a solid win for Sam Pittman's group. What do you think of Arkansas Cincinnati? I'm with you. I, I think Arkansas had a chance to put this game away early. And didn't. And, and they didn't. And it allowed Cincinnati to figure things out at halftime, come out in the second half and play a lot better, I thought, than it did in the first half. And it made a game of it. And I just, yeah, I mean, we. it's not surprising that Cincinnati comes off to a slow start considering everything that they lost. And it's not too surprising Arkansas got off to a slow start offensively considering Traylon Burks did so much for them on offense. But... I felt like that game didn't didn't really improve my opinion of Cincinnati as much as it decreased my opinion slightly of Arkansas. Yeah, I I have a couple weird like conflicting thoughts here because I, I felt like Arkansas came out was pretty much in control of the game even though the score didn't totally indicate it. Jefferson gets a little bit dinged up. A couple guys in Arkansas's secondary went down here, and that's really when Cincinnati was able to throw the ball around. But overall, like it was a I, I don't really know how good Cincinnati is. And so from that standpoint, it, it is tough for me to formulate an exact opinion of just how much to increase or decrease, you know, Arkansas's power rating or mental power rating or wh- wh- whatever you want to go with here, wh- whatever you feel about this Arkansas team. I, I do though, 18 rushes for Jefferson is a lot. Like he's a big guy and I know they're going to have to probably run him a lot, but that, that is quite a bit. I mean, ru- you know, Sanders had, had had 20 carries for him. I, I actually like him a lot. Um, man, it just didn't feel like they should have more points than they actually did. Yeah, they, they, ran for two, they ran for 225. They threw for 223. 
and yet it's it's 31 on the board and and Cincinnati had a chance in this game it, it was credit to them for not going away yeah I'm I'm a little I'm, I'm with you Tom I'm 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 a little bit less bullish on the Razorbacks and maybe that is a credit to Cincinnati but we will we will continue to see that moving forward so um where where was y'all's head at when uh because here's the deal there's a there's a spot near my house it's called high park bar and grill the old school raleigh people knew it as profile and you know there's it, it is a collection place for uh nc state grads for it is the ecu pirate club meetup to watch games it, it gets a lot of app state grads and it gets a lot of north carolina grads and then i even suggested before the game on twitter i said I would love to know what it looks like during the noon slate when these four teams are all in action at the same sports bar, because I'm sure it looks like the fight scene from Anchorman. But all I could imagine is that as stressful as these two games were, the cigarette consumption has to be incredible. I mean, just the stress cigs, the heaters that were getting burned down during all of the TV timeouts that we had between these scores. I like. I think I might walk down there uh, to just check out the ashtrays and just see what it looks like because the way that those two games happened, I can tell you, no one is really happy right now. Obviously, ECU, you had uh, a missed extra point to tie the game, then got all the way in field goal range, then missed the game-winning field goal, missed a game-tying extra point, missed a game-winning field goal. Uh, App State missed two. Two point conversions in a 63 to 61 loss. Loomed large. I I mean, it's just like North Carolina has to be so unhappy with where they are defensively that they continue to have to go through the process of turning the ball, putting the ball in Drake May's hands and saying, please save us. For NC State, you're saying, why do we have the ACC preseason player of the year as quarterback and still only be able to muster 21 points? Why do we fumble the ball at like, why does this offensive line that has NFL players on it, not be able to punch it in from inside the three yard line with the turnover on downs and a fumble at the one yard line. Like this is uh, two ACC teams that were on the road in hostile environments and both came out with wins and no one has to feel confident about what they saw from either the victorious teams. And there's nothing but heartbreak from the teams on the losing end. East Carolina had had one of their top defensive linemen out in this game, right? You're up 21-7. I hate this offense so much of <laughs> NC State. I, I know I've said it. So go back to the locks pod. Like they'll probably still still go nine and three and 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 go over for me. But God, I hate what NC State does on offense. They <laughs> they're just they're probably like the most frustrating team for me in terms of like talent to actual production, and yet they win enough to where you really can't say anything, and they develop players kind of well, and their strength program is. Like their guys look really big, or they don't really push anybody around today. Now, can you scheme up some easy completions? Does everything have to feel like it's pulling teeth? You're playing East Carolina. I'm not saying East Carolina is bad, but they're not great. I, I man, I really just uh, that's tough. However, NC State's defense is pretty damn good, and credit to Holt Nailers because a lot of the passes he made today were Tough. really contested throws that he had to fit in there and he had to feather some balls like over a guy in front of another dude. Uh, I, I I know I said I wasn't convinced he was that great and his numbers were bad, right? I mean, 22 of 40 for 255, two touchdowns, two picks is not anything special. 
I actually thought he played pretty damn well considering what he was facing. He outplayed Leary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. It, my advice for the ACC is to stop playing these damn road games because oh, yeah, Virginia Tech loses to Old Dominion. It's like you, you guys have. Guys, it's easy to say if you're the Big Ten, you get these big checks. <laughs> ACC boys got to go out and get, get, get the money, man. I'm saying, you know, you know how the Big Ten got that money? By playing MAC teams at home in September. Starting undefeated. <laughs> Getting, getting all them teams into top 10 ACC is coming out here on the first weekend of the season and like just shooting itself in the face repeatedly. I just, yeah, like struggling at East Carolina on the road, struggling at app state on the road, losing to old dominion on the road. Stop doing it. Like I under, I, I think that it's respectable and it's, it's, it's admirable on a level, but it's also dumb as hell a lot of the most admirable decisions anybody has made were also stupid decisions and i think the acc is making a lot of stupid decisions when it comes to these games because man it is it's killing the conference's rep like you're struggling enough as it is to find a very good second team and it's like i've often gotten on the pac-12's case for all the times that they would schedule their best teams playing on the road on a friday night on a short week and those teams ending up going on the road to that game and losing and blowing their chance to get to the playoff now it's the acc scheduling these games stop making it tougher on yourself than it has to be you're the power five conference act like it maybe chip knows is this a two for one because I've, I've seen teams do this where you get two home games in exchange for playing one road game in lieu of giving uh, a, a G5 team a check to come to your place. I thought this was, um, I think it's more of a four game series where we're going basically even. I don't think it's two for one. This is two I, athletic directors hanging out on a golf course, coming up with ideas and shaking yeah. hands. Like, you know what? Let's play two of your places, two of ours. Okay. Yeah, I, I I could I, I need to check uh, shout out to FB schedules as always. I need to check the future schedules to uh you know get my confirmation on that. But you remember they played in Chapel Hill in 2019, Max first year, mm -hmm. Nap State came in there and won. And at that time, they were not the favorite as they were the betting as the Mountaineers were the betting favorite by the close, which by the way, North Carolina's offense, Sands ja Josh Downs still had 550 yards. Drake may still like that's one that my biggest takeaway from this, from the North Carolina side, uh, even though the, the defense is still a hundred percent alarming, but like he did that without a 1400 yard receiver. Mm -hmm. Drake may is really good, dude. Like he's uh, I, really good. Yeah. Uh, that I'm not saying app state's defense is great or anything. It's pretty clearly not, but Drake may is, Physically, he's he's the goods. Well, it was twenty-one to seven, and then they decided to let him cook. They decided to yeah. be like, "All right, man, like you want to get out there, you want to start scrambling for the easy yards." Like then, all of a sudden, the coverage situation changed because he kept getting those eight-yard gains to keep the chains moving. He started like eating up all the freebies. Then the inside receivers, like Nesbit, Black, like Blackwell, started getting open on the outside. Nesbit started getting open on the inside. And these are guys that are not superstars. They weren't on anyone's like all ACC radar. A lot of them are young players like Drake May, who he's just been sort of coming up with. So I, I, uh, I come out of this looking at May. We we talked about the the con. Hey, what, Tom's been making fun of the conference of quarterbacks, but 
if in 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 a in a first week where the ACC preseason of the year Devin Leary um, fell way short of expectations, where Malik Cunningham and we might get to Syracuse in a second. I need y'all to talk before I can hook up this audio cable, but where uh, <laughs> where where Malik Cunningham wasn't able to go and get it done in the electric dome, like Drake May might be one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC when we're looking up at the end of the season. So that was, that was my other big takeaway um, from that. I, I do have one more takeaway. Um, All right. So back at ACC media day, it's kind of kicked around like, Hey, what if Mac Brown's going to retire? And some people were floating the idea. They're just going to give this job to Dean Chizik. That's not and, happening. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, Better mm. chance. It's Phil Longo. Okay. No, I, I was just saying based on performance. Like not like in no, that's not an insider source, but I'm just saying like, the, like that was an, another conversation that came up today. People get really mad at Phil Longo based on very specific situational stuff. Like they're really mad that they handed the ball off or they went in shotgun during this one like first and goal situation. But that offense has been productive ever since he showed up in Chapel Hill. We've undergone like personnel losses, personnel turnover. That's that that group still stays humming, and the the defense is still trash. Maybe at the expense of being good offensively, but that's that has been a consistent uh, consistent thread through the Mac Brown era has been the good offense. So, App State lost their top three receivers from last year, and uh, Chase Price threw for ten yards per attempt. Yeah, I mean, it, the defense doesn't look any better than it did last year. It almost looks worse in some ways. I'm. They're going to have to have Drake May score 50 points a game if they want to win eight ball games. Carolina Overs, all day. I was, just, I was just mad at how happy Max seemed after the game. Like, I know that's kind of his personality, but it's like, man, if I just went through that game against App State and barely held on to win while giving up over 60 points, I feel like I'd be, like, smiling and joking afterwards. <laughs> but that's me. Was Kirk Ferentz smiling and joking after two safeties and a field goal totaled the seven points that the Hawkeyes scored against South Dakota State in a 7-3 to three win? There was one team in the universe that Iowa could have won against playing the way that it did today, and that team just happened to be South Dakota State. <laughs> Both quarterbacks were six of 18 in the first half. Oh, and boy, it got better in the second half. <laughs> I want to go to an Iowa practice just to see, like, what do they do during the week on offense? I mean, I, like, clearly they're, they're, it's nepotism and they're cashing checks from Iowa, and the friends' family is just make, they're making bank off Iowa. Like, hell, if I'm Kurt, I, I try to, like, does he have another son maybe you can hire? Let's, let's, let's load it up. 11 of 25 for 109 yards. Mm -hmm. This is NC State nonsense on steroids. Create some easy throws. 36 rushes for 57 yards. Iowa had 166 total yards of offense, and it outgained South Dakota State by 46 yards. And I saw the stat might be wrong. Chris Hassel retweeted it, but I think the stat was since 2020 – Iowa has now won six games in which it punted at least eight times. 
the rest of the country combined has won two such games. You want to know an insane stat? And it really drives home the point we made earlier in the broadcast about just how soft Notre Dame was playing as far as deep guys. Iowa had more 25-yard plays today than Ohio State did. (laughs) I don't remember any of them. All I remember is safeties and, like, third down passes missing the target by a good five or six yards. God, it is... I that must be like if you're an Iowa fan and you have to sit there understanding that Spencer Petrus, you've got at least eleven more games of that. Like, why are you showing up to watch on Saturday at this point? They're still going to win eight games. <laughs> I don't know. Are they? I don't know. I mean, if the offense plays like that in the Big Ten, I'm- I know we make fun of the Big Ten West. But you're not winning many games like that in the Big Ten if you're playing like that. I think that they might be playing. Uh, was it um, not possum? Like, oh, playing possum. You they think might- they were playing possum the whole four quarters? Like you might have played possum for a half. Like, <laughs> but I'm saying you might have played possum for a half. But when you're still losing to South Dakota State in the second half, you better start going to page two of the playbook. <laughs> All right, they have Iowa State, and then they get Nevada, who's apparently great. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, so much for the fade Wyoming, fade Nevada auto plays. Where did the Wolf Space Pack come from? Man, and that – Wyoming does nothing all day. Two special teams. I I texted Tom this. Like, the the fault wasn't – jumping on the other side of Nevada and Wyoming. The fault was trusting Tulsa on the road in Laramie. Yeah. And also trusting Texas state, which love, love Texas state. You've been there for me. The fighting spavs have been a, been a, been a close place to my heart, but you know, like a problematic girlfriend, Texas state has also caused some terrible, terrible nights as well. So I, I was too focused on one side of that thing. I, I should have known better. And and Tom, like you said, in, in your pick me up moment, like this is, we'll just learn our lessons and we'll keep it moving. We can't, it can't be that easy to just jump on the other side of Nevada and Wyoming every week. All you can do is watch the tape and get better. That's all you That's can right. do. A hundred percent. Um. All right. So we've got uh the Wyoming, we've got the. Do we want to talk about Alabama at all? I mean, I know no. you mentioned it, but. I mean, like truthfully, like I did not watch a snap. Uh, well, I'll just I'll read off some numbers because Bryce Young. We talked about how you know you kind of have to up your game to you know repeat as a Heisman winner. 195 yards passing isn't going to do it, but the five touchdowns will. And Bryce Young, the guy who I was always complaining about, just seemed scared to run when the opportunity presented itself. Five rushes, 100 yards tonight. He was the team's leading rusher. Jameer Gibbs had 93 yards on nine carries himself, but Bryce Young was like dual threat Cam Newton it up out there. That That's a good way to be able to put yourself in a position to repeat as a Heisman winner, even if I don't think that the Heisman voters will do it for you. I'm, I don't know. I, I think that Utah State went through competitive whiplash. You know, <laughs> you play UConn one week, you play Alabama the next, you just ain't ready for it. You just, you, you jump in the, it's uh it's like jumping in the pool and then jumping in the hot tub or reverse. You know, you're just, 
you're just not ready for that change in temperature. And I feel like that's what Utah State was going to be set up for the entire way. Alabama against Texas. Alabama by a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to agree. Um, okay, we've got uh, the Tex- Texas A&M looks bad early. Went through like a two-hour weather delay. Ends up winning that game 31 to nothing. Were they playing possum against Sam Houston? I didn't see any of this game. This. Yeah. All right. Sean, yes, they were. We'll just say it. Yeah, they were definitely playing really possum. possum. Yeah. No, 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 no. Listen, uh, Shahan pointed out on Twitter that um, through six quarters of Haynes King as Texas A&M starting quarterback, I think he had like four interceptions. Not great. Not great. Something to certainly monitor as we move forward. Um, Michigan wins 51 to seven against Colorado state. <laughs> My big takeaway is def- defense. Like I, like Jay Norvell brought the entire Nevada offense with him. Like he, he brought players, he brought coaches. He, he was trying to bring over all of that. The offensive line is not prepared for what Michigan had. And it's a Michigan defense that doesn't have Aiden Hutchinson. Doesn't have David Ajabo. Doesn't have Dax Hill in the secondary. I thought the secondary locked up the receivers and like there was no way that Colorado state was ever going to be able to get anything done with the way that Michigan had players in the backfield every single snap. So if we looked at all those starters that were gone from Michigan, all that experience that was gone from Michigan, we assumed that the offense was going to be good. Oh yeah. And the other piece of it, JJ McCarthy gives uh, Michigan the best chance to be able to make the college football playoff again. So the next games against Hawaii, McCarthy will put up great numbers. He will look good, but my prediction is in line with what Tom said Michigan should be doing the whole time. McCarthy should be the starting quarterback. What I said about Harbaugh's plan when he first announced it was that it was just to delay the inevitable of having to make the decision, but it was also going to be futile because they were playing nobody for the first three weeks of the season, and both quarterbacks were going to play well. I was wrong. McNamara didn't play well. <laughs> no. In fact, McNamara was the third best quarterback that played for Michigan today. <laughs> That's Jay, right. The offense yeah. didn't really do like the, he had one 61 yard touchdown pass to Roman Wilson. That was nice, but he didn't do anything outside of that. And the offense was just kind of like, eh, for the entire game. And then JJ McCarthy barely played it all in the first half. Finally starts getting some reps and some snaps in the second half. Immediately, Michigan starts putting together big plays, you know, driving down the field quickly. McCarthy was four for four for 30 yards. He rushed for 50 yards, including a 20 yard touchdown run. And then in the fourth quarter, after McCarthy gets pulled, Alan Bowman, who's got to be like 40 by now, remember the kid who had a collapsed lung playing for Texas Tech? He's at Michigan now. He's probably bald. I don't know. He's wearing a helmet, but he's really old. He comes in. He was five for six for 40 yards. So, Cade McNamara was the third best starter on the team. J.J. McCarthy is going to get the start next week against Hawaii. We saw what Vandy did to Hawaii last week. I think J.J. McCarthy is going to be Michigan's starting quarterback, and I think he should be, and I think that Jim's going to get lucky that it worked out this way. And, like, real quick, like, three times McNamara had that team in scoring position and they had to settle for field goals. Yeah, because it's just his inability to run when things get tight and defenses are just kind of taking away the space. His inability to just do anything with his feet hurts Michigan, whereas McCarthy, if the pass isn't there, he could take off, and he can get you the yards and at least get you, you know, extend the drive and get into the end zone and get points instead of field goals, and that's just something Michigan's going to need when the games matter. 
on the very quick Colorado State observation, I I'm not really sure they have much in the way of playmakers, right? I, I mean, Millen was 16 of 20 for a buck 37. <laughs> and, and that got better because there was one point where he was like seven of 10 for 97 yards. Yeah. Or not. No, it was something It was even worse. It was seven of, I can't remember. He, he started off like 13 of 15 for like 97 yards or whatever. It was just, it was a, it was a Josh Rosen-esque stat line. All right. Uh, what, what, what else we have? Do we want to take this to Thursday? Do we want to take this to Friday? Anything else from Saturday that stands out? I think we need to take this to the dome. Right, hold on. Listen, get, get, give me one more game. I got, I got to go plug this in real quick. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tom, what do, you, what do you want to talk about? Uh, I don't want to talk about Illinois, but I will. No, what about <laughs> Penn State Purdue? Um, okay. I feel like I'm a million percent right about Purdue. I think they're overrated. I don't think they're nearly as good as they were last year. And I think I'm a million percent wrong about Penn state. I think Penn state's the exact same team. It was last year. <laughs> like the offensive line was still bad. Noah Singleton looked good at times, but they were splitting the ball between all their backs and none of them were really finding traction. Clifford was his second year in the same offense didn't really seem to do a whole much of a difference for him as far as his accuracy. And I honestly thought the best that, I mean, Clifford made plays at the end. I'm not going to take that away from him. He went in clutch time in winning time. Sean Clifford put the plus on the Jag, but I felt like Jewelar just brought a spark to that offense and his little cameo appearance for one series, even though he was only two for four, that just kind of sent a jolt through me. And it's like, Oh, I wouldn't mind seeing more of that. A little bit different take here as as Chip plugs it in. Um, I thought Penn State had a real shot to like, kind of put this game away, you know, and ultimately that targeting call kept that drive alive. Close your eyes. <laughs> Is it hooked up, Chip? <laughs> Are we just going to cook cook the take? No, all right, just r- real quick on, on the take. Right? Look, so Clifford gets dinged up. Kind of plays iffy after that, and then down down the stretch played pretty well. I thought they had a real kind of BS targeting call, right? That mm-hmm. kept the drive, kept a, a touchdown drive alive for Purdue. Um, you know, and Purdue also scored a defensive touchdown, which credit to them, but that's not really repeatable skill to score on defense all, all that much. And yet, Penn State still won and covered. So on the road in a conference opener. I was actually fairly impressed with Penn State. Also, I do think that Purdue misses Carl Loftus, and I think that Purdue misses David Bell and Milton Wright. I mean, look, Charlie Jones, 153 yards is awesome, but O'Connell threw the ball 58 times, mm-hmm. and he only competed 29 of them. That's, that's a lot of balls hitting the ground there for, for Purdue, and I, I think O'Connell's a pretty good quarterback. So, I was a little bit higher on Penn State than I thought it would be coming out of this game. I'll clarify right. my well. Yeah, I'll I'll clarify my Penn State opinion in that I still think that they're clearly the third best team in the East at best. Agreed. Mm. Yes. Right, so anyways, Scott Satterfield, that seat is heating up. Any <laughs> idea why? Close your eyes. Visualize this. You're in the carrier dome. The house is filled. 
The feeling is electric. The noise is deafening. You have a defense that is relentless. You have a special team that has been well coached. You have an offense that will not huddle. And you have a game that's faster than you've ever seen on turf. Open your eyes. That's going to be a reality. That's going to be Syracuse football. much for being high on louisville yeah is there one team really just like like you thought you just got majorly wrong so far this season because that for me it's louisville yes they they came out and like it wasn't fluky they just looked like crap they got whipped up front malik cunningham looked terrible garrett trader looked nice uh syracuse who i i it was Syracuse's defense. Syracuse's defense was yeah. good. Mm-hmm. I hated this matchup for Syracuse's defense. Like they, they lost everybody on the defensive line. I wasn't really impressed by the guys they were, they were bringing back. And Louisville, like, this is the kind of loss that gets Coach fired, especially when, when you look at the upcoming schedule. They have to go to Orlando to face a UCF team that looked pretty good against South Carolina State, right? And then they got to go host Florida State. Now, who knows what FSU will be, but there's a non-zero chance you're 0-3. And this is a blowout loss at a Syracuse team that maybe Syracuse is much better than I think. But also, I do th- it says something about Louisville. Like, like list was pretty set up for this Louisville team to be good, and they they just looked terrible. But they were not ready to play, and and Syracuse was all, all the credit to Dino with the Dino drop. Yeah, the the combination of Sean Tucker and Garrett Trader in the run game had Louisville defenders in hell because they didn't know what to do. All offseason, we were like, can this Louisville defense be better? Can that be the group that makes them? And then we we're like, Jermaine Lowell, oh, that's going to fix it. And it's like a, the the great lessons of the transfer portal and the freedom of movement era, where it's like, just because you get one quality player added to a like position group does not mean that the functional dysfunction that is happening within your entire defense is going to be fixed. Does that one player add something that you did not have before yes but that does not mean that we should assume that you are fundamentally going to be different so goodness gracious uh no bueno for scott satterfield and look hey like bud you are in new orleans we will see what florida state has but i i think that with syracuse looking good with oh boston college looks bad never mind yes. boston college is in trouble hold on let's yeah Let's pull this thread lines a bit. trouble. Let's pull this thread a little bit. Louisville just on, lost on the road. Looked bad at Syracuse. Sat's going to be in trouble. Purdue looked pretty lackluster. Where did Purdue's coach go to college? Just saying. Didn't he make some comments this summer about uh, maybe oh, yeah. at, at at like football clubs in Louisville? Oh, and a pretty nice recruiting class coming in there next year. Mm. Huh. Mm. Some talent on the offensive side of the football. Mm. Huh. If Wonder. they keep that class together. I yeah. mean, that that is a NIL related class with a lot of kids from California and Texas. I'm not really 
Well, all right, I so if that, I was if that is built upon the rock, that class might be built upon the sand. Just so saying. Like, we're, we're sitting. Well, didn't you 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 described to me one time about like, I guess I could have surmised it. I've never gone that deep, but it's like there is a positive value, even if the player decommits, right? Where the coaching staff loves to get the early commitment because there's so much positive press that comes from it that even if they decommit later. Dum dums like me will still be like, hey, guess what? Scott Satterfield's getting it done on the recruiting trail. Even if that five star ends up decommitting and going to Alabama, decommitting and going to Georgia, decommitting and going to one of the schools that gets the five stars, just the fact that you are in the mix just sort of brings about a level of like, hmm, you're doing good, you know, like your blank doesn't stink or whatever. But, uh, but I, I don't know, man. I, I think that. Do you think that Louisville's NIL operation is stronger than Purdue's? Yes. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. And that's uh, without me knowing anything about Purdue's NIL operation, by the way. I'm just could, saying, like, I'm yeah. playing the odds here. Louisville's is pretty strong, but that could change once Purdue starts getting a billion dollars a year. <laughs> that's true. Like, if you're getting $100 million a year from the Big Ten, do you actually need boosters to donate to that? You could just donate to NIL. Mm-hmm. Well... I mean, Kevin Warren did say we're going to pay players, you know, right? The Big Ten's going to be the first one. Oh, yeah, one. for sure, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. Um, anything else from uh, from Saturday or Thursday or Friday before we get out of here? Uh, Oregon State is clearly the best team in the Pac-12. I don't know. I didn't see what happened, but apparently Hank Bachmeyer's out of the game. I don't know if he got hurt or if he just got benched, but he's been out the last few uh, series. I don't know if he got if he got hurt, but he's playing like he, like he got hurt because he he threw two really bad picks to start the game. This other kid they have in there is probably not going to lead him to a win tonight, but he has actually led two decent drives. So mm-hmm. uh, if you're clearly like the move normally twenty four nothing good running team is, is is to you know at home is is to bet the under second half and. and you know, wake up and you got a winner in your account. I don't know. Like this kid's not that bad and he's got some ability. So I'll, I'll stay up and watch this a little bit longer, I guess. I did not watch enough of Houston UTSA oh, to speak so about it well here, but I've got it locked for a rewatch because it seems like it was one of the game of the day. Like one of the, like seriously, one of the best games of the entire college football Saturday Houston wins 37-35 in triple overtime. I saw the end when Clayton Toon just went Superman and just decided I'm going to like put the team on my back and just leap this thing into the end zone. Um, you know, Frank Harris had a fantastic game as well. He finishes with three touchdowns, 337 yards passing, another touchdown on the ground. I just uh, like – Houston's fourth quarter comeback turned what looked like an upset for a very interesting AAC contender into a win. Um, I, I did you all watch more of this? Because it oh, seems like it was it, yeah. okay. All right, so what do yeah, you think? They're both good teams. Like I, I was wondering what UTSA would look like. You know, since here McCormick left, Barry Lunny Jr. went to Illinois to be the OC there, and I was like, I wonder if we'll see any kind of drop off. No, Mm-mm. they're good. They're really good. And Houston, I think, you know, it's, I think Houston might have some whole, like they lost what Hall, the defensive tackle. And that seemed to be getting them a bit today. Like they didn't really have an answer there, but I think overall that defense is still pretty good. And I think going into the American, they'll probably be pretty good. And I think UTSA might end up being one of the top two or three teams in conference USA again. So that's just a really fun game between two quality football teams. Um, 
the chat wants me to talk about the Big 12. Which Big 12 games should we talk? I guess there's only really two of worth of no, because like the Big 12 did the right thing and just played a bunch of nobodies for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. West Virginia looked better than I expected them to look. Yeah, that was a fun game, yeah. Yeah. JT Daniels made some really nice throws in that game against a very good pit defense. It was kind of the whole We already talked about game. Cincinnati and Houston. We talked about the Big 12. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Correct. Wow. Uh, um, I will was 308 yards on 24 passes. It's nice if you actually let them throw the ball a little bit, maybe. I know a lot of it came in garbage time, but Oklahoma State allowing 44 points to Central Michigan in its first game post Jim Knowles. Not great. TCU is 55-15. Yeah. Is that right? 40. It was something like that. They allowed like three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Uh, TCU was playing with its food for far too long against Colorado on Friday night. Okay. Is Chandler Morris's injury actually a positive for TCU. <laughs> they played a lot better afterwards. Duggan came in, yeah. Wally Pip situation there? It might be. But that was just, obviously, that I was watching that game, I was like, I, I don't really know what TCU is doing. Colorado is presenting nothing to make me think they've even got a chance to win this game, and TCU is just letting them stick around until they finally turned on the gas. Uh, but, I mean, Oklahoma killed UTEP, Baylor killed Albany, Iowa State killed Southeast Missouri State, Kansas State killed South Dakota, Texas Tech killed Murray State, and Texas killed UL Monroe. It's I've got, like I got nothing. I didn't yeah. learn anything. I was right. not entertained. I did not learn anything. I look forward to learning more about the Big 12. A lot of teams got closer to bowl eligibility. It was a solid week for the Big 12. Congratulations. <laughs> You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We'll be back on Monday with more notes from the weekend that was, including reaction to Sunday night's game in New Orleans between Florida State and LSU. Any of the late night action that uh, gets our attention. And as I just mentioned, we've got some rewatching to do. Okay. We, we bring you our instant reaction from what we were able to watch. We spend some time on Sunday to go back. So upon further review, we'll be in action on Monday. Make sure that you like and subscribe. Hit the bell for notifications so you know that when we go live, gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.